at one point, I owed $25 million to our suppliers, different suppliers, and I had $100,000 in the bank. That was the situation. Welcome to this new episode on Beyond Victory. Today with Alejandro Agag. Alejandro being an ex-European hotshot politician <laughs> and then retired from that and now CEO and founder of Formula E. To begin with, really, you're a huge fan of racing and always have been. So I wanted to see, first of all, like, where did the, the passion for racing start with and what is the beginning of that? So when I was like, I think, 10, 10 or 11, my parents moved to Monaco. And they were living in the Mirabel, next to the Mirabeau. So from the terrace of our house, we could see the entrance to the tunnel of the, of the Formula One Grand Prix. And that's really the, my first contact ever with racing. And since, since then, I was in, in love with it, in love with cars. I remember I was a fan of Ricardo Patrese. And uh, yeah, it comes from there. But the apartment also belonged to another racing driver, you said, I remember. No? Tuelio De Angelis. Tuelio De Angelis. Tuelio my, da- De Angelis. my dad's best friend. Exactly, actually. Tuelio De Angelis. Cool. Yeah. So then the next part, of course, is how on earth and where did you find this crazy idea in 2013 to do a global electric single-seater series? <laughs> yeah, it's very quickly you say that. But, you know, the idea comes from before. And actually, I mean, I would love to say it was like, a, you know, an idea because I, I mean, I am obviously passionate for the environment and worry about climate change, but that's not the origin. The origin was a lot more commercial. I was trying to sell a sponsorship package in Formula One to a big utility company. That was what I used to do at the time. I was brokering a lot of sponsorship deals. This company at the end pulled out and they, the guy, the CEO said, listen, instead of telling you no and why, I'm just going to send you the rail, trail of emails of all my team. Everything was about the environment. We cannot really associate with the competition with, you know, a link to combustion and, and all of. So at the time I thought we have a problem because that was my business. I thought if there is a possibility to do a green race commercially, that can be a you know home run. Many like five years later, when we were having dinner, Jean Todd, Antonio Tajani, who was at the time vice president of the European Commission, and myself in Paris, and we started talking about electric cars and so on. And then Jean said we should do an FIA something about about that a championship. I said I'll be the promoter. Five years after five that years first after insight. that first insight, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I always had it in my mind, but there were no the technology wasn't ready. There were no electric cars. And even when we had that conversation, the cars could only go twenty five minutes. And then we came up with the idea of using two cars for the race. So that was that was the moment. So in a restaurant. Yeah. The whole concept was written down on a napkin or what? The or whole concept was re- <laughs> written down on a napkin. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a piece of paper, which is now actually in a frame on top of that table in that restaurant in Paris. <laughs> they are big race fans, the, the owners of the restaurant, these well, six, six Italian brothers, the, the Stressa. That's amazing. Yeah. So great also of Jean eh, to be so excited and, and straight away onto that together he, with you. Huh? I mean, I think if it wasn't for Jean, there would be no Formule uh, He was really protecting us during the whole way. And, you know, believe me, we needed a lot of protection. Uh, we struggled. It was difficult in the beginning. It was very tough. No one really believed in it. And Jean was always there, and he always believed. So, yeah, and, you know, it was great from him from the start, from that dinner onwards. Cool. Then, I mean, for everybody who's listening, of course, everybody out there has great ideas, but very, very few are actually able to execute, Bernie's favorite word, yeah, yeah? yeah. And, and get the job done, and go from idea, visionary idea, which you had as well, to really getting it done. Could you, for everybody who's listening and for me as well, 
give us like the top five steps of how you went from that dinner in, in, with Jean to actually putting this global series on the grid in Shanghai. So the three most crucial steps yeah. on the way, which could help everybody else listening. So the first one, I think, when you have an idea, the first thing you need, it's one real item or element of your idea. So in our case was to have one car. We needed to have one car to show that it was possible to race with electric cars. The problem is there were no electric race cars in the world. That's a so, big problem. <laughs> you know, when you want to do an electric car race, you need some electric cars. So we found one that these guys, these French guys, had made, basically made in, his, in their garage, which was Formulec. And it was really a very, very kind of rudimentary kind of prototype. And we bought it. So we had one car. But that was not enough. People were like, you know, this is a small thing. So we needed to create the first car. That was a huge challenge. There were no batteries. There was no motor. And especially no one believed on us. So, okay. But that was to make the car. So, so we made Building it. credibility. Yeah? Building first, credibility. Absolutely essential. You need people to, to see something they can touch. If you only go with a, with a PowerPoint, it's not enough. So that was the first challenge. Second challenge, obviously, was to get money. Because we needed, we need to go big. If you start with a very small thing and you try, we think this, we thought this thing would die. We said, let's do it on a grand scale with big cities, with, uh, you know, a big display, proper broadcasting, proper, you know. So we needed to deploy a lot of capital. We had to find that capital. We found some capital in the beginning, but it was not enough. So we were really, really close to go under. Then Before we were, it even started? No, no, no. We started. So we got capital. Then we were running out of capital, but we made the first car. And on the back of the first car, we raised more capital. And then that capital was enough to do three races. But then we ran out of money. <laughs> yeah. That we sounds did. a bit on the edge. <laughs> it was a little bit on the edge, yeah. I mean, we were not supposed to be that much on the edge, but, you know, <laughs> shit happens. An basically. important lesson, don't tell anybody yeah. that you're on the edge. Well, right? yeah. <laughs> no one here knew. Not even your employees. No, only okay. two or three employees knew because, of okay. course, if all the employees know, they all leave. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will go and panic and they know that they don't have... So at one point, I owed $25 million to our suppliers, different suppliers, and I had $100,000 in the bank. That was the situation. But we were raising capital. And that's when Liberty and Discovery came in. And uh, actually, it was a really, really, we were at the limit. I had to pay from my pocket the air freight of the cars to go to the Miami race. So it was really limited. And then in the Miami race, we did the, we finalized the deal with Liberty Discovery. Capital came in. And from there, it's been financially a great success story. But the success story is not only of, because of the money we got in. It's because people started to believe we were going to stay. The problem we had is that people thought we were going to go bust. So they didn't want to associate with us. When big corporations like Liberty and Discovery come in, then people say, okay, then these guys have got money behind. Let's sponsor them. Let's go into the, with the team. OEMs started to take it seriously and so on and so forth. So it was kind of a, a great situation. And then the third step, big step, which was kind of the final takeoff, was probably in those two or three months in not this summer that just finished, but the summer before, when Porsche, Mercedes, and then ABB, as title partner, joined the championship. Of course, we had other OEMs before, uh, that were here before, but those were kind of the icing in the cake. Those were the when everyone said, wow. I mean, now, anywhere I go, people are like, congratulations. And I'm like, why? <laughs> Nothing has happened really yesterday. But everyone is like, 
okay, Formula A made it because those big guys are in and so on. So those will be the first, making the first car, raising money to continue and to exist, really, and then getting all these big manufacturers in. Can I just take you back into that difficult moment that you're touching on? Sure. Personally, how tough was it? I mean, you had invested so much and you believed so much in this and were on the edge for so long and then suddenly even you probably thought, okay, this is not going to make it. Yeah. How, how tough was that situation for you? I mean, it was very tough because I would wake up, I sleep very well, you know, all my life I've slept very, very well. But that period, I would wake up, every morning I would wake up at 3 a.m. without alarm or anything. 3 a.m. sharp, I would wake up and I would see invoices. <laughs> No, and I would choose. I had to choose which one to pay. I would be thinking, "Shit, I owe this guy money, and I owe this guy money, and I owe this guy money, and my employees, and this and that." It's a really stressing period when you go through that. I didn't have any white hair when I started from Lai, and I, like, in a period of two months, I got all my white hair. So obviously, it's a tough period, but I'm not sorry I lived through that. I think it's a really good experience for an entrepreneur to do that. And uh, I think going back to Bernie, Bernie said some phrase which was like, you've been to the deep end and come back or something like that. I don't know what he said. Like, Bernie doesn't swear much. He didn't say deep shit or anything, but he, he said, yeah, you've been to the deep and got out of it. So yeah, it was, it was tough. And what's the driving force in you during that period to really push you so hard to get through that in, then? Is it you want to create something so big which you're on the path towards doing and you had such a strong belief or legacy or what is it that's no, your you driving know, force? Actually, the big driving force for me is not to disappoint people that had put their trust in me. So the problem was I was in so deep and I had already raised about and spent about 75 million of other people's money and my money, by the way, but other people's money. So there were a lot of investors that had already put their money in only because of me. A lot more people had invested in teams. So, you know, going from Alan Prost and Jean-Paul Driot to the guys from Apt to all these teams were invested in the championship. I mean, I had so many people that depended on these things succeeding or they would go through, you know, financial pain that I had to make it happen. I couldn't disappoint all those people. That was really what kept me going. And also not to let down all the employees that worked in Formula A. So really that my big kind of motivation is I really, really need to make this happen because I cannot let down all these people that, you know, trusted in, in me to, to come into Formula A. That's similar to the words that Bernie had in the past podcast. He was saying that care is such a, is such a big, big part of also having success, huh? which is a bit what you're saying now, caring for your partners, your employees, everybody. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, if you were alone, okay, fine. You go, you, you fail. And it's okay. If you have enough money to continue living in your apartment or whatever, then you're fine. Even if you go out of your apartment, it's fine. But if you have other people that depend on you and that have made, you know, you have to take care of them because that's what will then make them trust you again. If you let everyone down one time, then, you know, then that's it. You're finished. Of course. Yeah. Bernie, in, also in that first podcast, he said, F formerly has no rights in the long run, for the electric uh, single-seater series. Yeah, so Formula, saw, one, Formula One can go electric very, very soon if they want to. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, well, Bernie is wrong. <laughs> Please remain diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Bernie is wrong. In that is wrong. Bernie is right in everything. In that is wrong. But I can understand why Bernie says that. Bernie thinks, and he's right, that Formula One is so important in a way and so powerful that that minor detail is not going to block Formula One from doing whatever, they, whatever Formula One wants. Well, first of all, Bernie is not anymore there. Maybe if Bernie was there, 
he could do something about it. But, you know, he's not there anymore. Maybe likely for me. <laughs> but, you know, then a contract is a contract. And Bernie hasn't seen my contract, but I have seen my contract. And I know how strong my contract is. And, you know, for example, my investors have seen my contract and they have invested in the company because they have seen the contract and they know that the exclusivity is there. So, yeah. So in this one, Bernie is wrong. But, you know, with, with, all, with all, my, all my affection for Bernie and respect for Bernie, I mean, you know, luckily happen. for me, in this one, he's wrong. <laughs> and when do you think Formula One will need to start seriously thinking about going electric? I think in five years, they're going to start feeling a lot the heat. I think in 10 years, it's going to be very difficult that they don't switch to electric. But they can't. But they will really feel the pressure to switch to electric. Because it's a question of performance. In 10 years, electric cars will go as fast as uh, combustion cars. So when you have these cars going as fast, what is the reason to stick to, a, to an old technology? You should move to the new technology. And the whole world is going to be selling electric cars. whole world is so. going to be selling electric cars. Every projection says where the electric cars are going to be. We are seeing today the, mo the new models from Mercedes, from Audi coming out. You know, as we speak, there, there's more and more and more models out there. So, yeah. So, we have a Liberty board member sitting in the room here with us. Um, Liberty, of course, owns both Formula E and Formula One. When are we going to see the merger? <laughs> <laughs> I'll repeat it into the microphone. <laughs> Two very different liberties is the answer, so we're not going to have a merger anytime soon. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this liberty arm is the better one because they bet on the future. Yeah. The others are bet on the past. Yeah. That was just me saying, huh? that's not you. <laughs> <laughs> Formula E, where are you taking it? What is the vision exactly to, to go even bigger, to continue growth? Because Formula One, yeah, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's the pinnacle of motorsports, it's gladiators, entertainment. Yeah. Yeah? Where is Formula E going? So Formula E needs to be technology and innovation and sustainability and environment and cities. So these are the main elements that, of course, make it different. In technology and innovation, I think the next biggest step is fast charging. We need to apply technologies or develop technologies in Formula E that can really make a, a huge difference for people that use electric cars on the road. And when you can charge your car in two minutes, that will make a huge difference for electric cars. So we have now doubled the capacity for batteries. We've developed batteries. Next step is, is fast charging. Obviously, we have to take Formula E mainstream. Fan base need to grow. We need to be, you know, a household kind of, you know, entertainment brand also. And we need to continue also strongly on the pillar of sustainability. I, th I think people care about sustainability. They care more about sports and about watching entertainment and so on, but they do care about sustainability. And that's a fundamental pillar. And I think the pollution problems in cities and the general or global uh, climate change challenge is going to go worse and worse. And sustainability is going to be more and more and more important in the future. That's really the main guidelines I've given you. Of course, where do I want to take Formula E to be the main motorsport in the world? But that doesn't mean taking anyone else's place or whatever. I think when the industry is electric, Formula E will happen to be the main motorsport in the world. And you say build the fan base. Is there a plan? Oh, yeah. Step one, two, three, which you can, which you can mention where you think yes. this is going to work? Well, there is a plan. There is a big plan with a big investment behind. We have what we call our growth plan that uh, intends to invest very significant funds and you know, human resources and so on in growing the brand. This you do now mainly on the through the digital channels. So we're having a growth which is, I mean, staggering on the digital channels. Our videos from last year to this year have grown more than a thousand percent in views from 50 million to 581 million, season three to season four. Season five, we think we're going to go over a billion views on our own produced content. And we're having a big investment on that. Our demographic is really young. We're managing to capture that younger demographic that then will be the families of the future. So the plan is going very much there. The plan also is to 
have some relevant motorsport stars and we're having some of them coming maybe some others will come tell us how the talks with Alonso are going please well uh, the talks with Alonso are going well I keep talking to him all the time and he, but you know I, can, I cannot really pin him down yet I mean, he's, he's not <laughs> are you trying one. hard I'm trying very hard yeah in Singapore I mean uh, yeah, oh, he doesn't they, want they, to I tried his wife his wife already gave me the clear the clear instruction like don't you even think about it she told me the, the night he retired I went in all the way with my black tie in the FIA dinner. And his wife was like, and you were there. And your wife was like, don't you think about it, he's not racing again. Well, he's helping anyway, but you know, he'll be, he'll be more. That, that is a fact though. Alejandro is very good in executing because it was about one minute after I received my FIA trophy yeah. that I had the Formula E offer on the table <laughs> in front of my wife. I was there, so I was there That was yeah. the error. It went in yeah, front yeah, of my yeah, mind. Your wife was there. I should have waited until your wife was talking to someone else or something. That was the strategic mistake. <laughs> Ah, another fun topic now. So, you recently made a soft announcement about for Extreme E. Yes, yes. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about that then? Very yes. exciting. Well, that is, that is a really exciting project. That is a project that has been you know, launched by Gilles Ferran uh, that has proposed us to you know, participate, that we actually have signed an agreement between Formula E and this new Extreme E concept to operate uh, Extreme E from the Formula E infrastructure. I think is the next, you know, if you say, for example, that, and I cannot say too much because this is going to FIA and it's going to go through all the things, but if you look at what the Formula E is for Formula 1, Extreme E would be that for the Dakar. So I think it's the next evolution of that concept. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about Extreme E and I think it's going to be a super cool project. I mean, I cannot tell too much because then probably Gilles will say that what is left for him to tell. But I can say, for example, the plan is to race in the most extreme locations in the planet. Go to the North Pole, go to the Amazon, deforested part of the jungle, because we want to also highlight the problems in those parts of the world. Go to the Himalayas to highlight the melting of the glaciers. Go to a sinking island in the Indian Ocean. Go to the desert to highlight the desertification problem. So that's, that's the concept. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your recent trip to Dubai? Yeah, I could. I could. Yeah, yeah. Not a good idea. <laughs> no, Jill is, is not going to be happy. Jill is not going to be happy. I got. Uh, we weren't in Dubai. We saw the ship that is going to be, in principle, the paddock for Extreme. So, what makes it really unique is that I don't know if you remember the Calypso. The Calypso was the boat of Jacques Cousteau. Maybe you're too young for that. No, you're not. Some of the older listeners might know then. You know Jacques Cousteau? <laughs> so, the concept, and I think it's a really clever concept, is to have all the cars, all the garages, all the mechanics, engineers, and so on. Because, of course, if you go to the North Pole, there are not hotels. And you don't, you don't want to set up a paddock in the ice. You will get the whole thing dirty and polluted and everything. So you contain everything on, a, on this big ship, and you operate from there. The cars get off, and the footprint is a lot smaller. Only the cars, the electric cars go, and they're electric, they're clean, and that's it. And we were on the ship, on the chosen ship for the first time uh, in Dubai. And it's amazing. And the highlight of that boat is? <laughs> well, the highlight of the boat is it, very sustainable. <laughs> it's not the one I was after. <laughs> I think you're after the 30 people jacuzzi, maybe? That was the one. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be the first one to inaugurate that one. That's going to be some very good content that we're going to do in that jacuzzi. Good. Uh, so it's going to be like a community, yeah? traveling on that boat around yes, the world. To exactly. The, so you to get the all the, obviously, the drivers will not go like from the Amazon to the North Pole. But to go to the North Pole, first you need to start a stop, for example, in Reykjavik. Everybody gets on board. 
you cruise for three, four days, you're there three, four days, you come back. So, you know, you're going to these really extreme locations where there is no other way to go, no other way to live there. But also we want to highlight all the problems that exist in those places. No? So I think the concept is great, yeah. Sounds like a powerful story. We're all looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be good. When is the last <laughs> the one? Yakuza especially is very interesting. <laughs> well, that's the best one, of course. For me, that's it. Thank good. you very much. Very, very impressive, I think, for all of us, even for all of you who are listening. Formula E now in four years is valued, if you look at the rumors somewhere on the internet, it's like yep. 700, 750 million dollars in four years, which you have built. Yeah. So this is really... Well, not alone, not alone, but yes. Euros. Sorry. <laughs> Liberty board member is correcting me. It's euros, 750 million. <laughs> Thank you for the, for the correction, which you have built, of course, as CEO. You have run the ship. Yeah, um, we're happy. Not, we're not happy. on your own, but I think that's something that's extremely impressive and not many people can say that. Thank you. So hats off for that. And thank you very much for taking the time. It was, uh, was good fun, interesting. Last uh, promotion from E. When is the first race? Where is it happening? Where do people need to tune well, in? I'm going to say that, but before I say that, even if you didn't join as driver, Nico has joined us as shareholder and ambassador. So, you know, we convinced him to join us in a different capacity. And the next race, for the first time ever, is going to be in a country that has never seen racing before, in the streets of Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. And I think, again, that's groundbreaking. Again, we participate in the change in a country that is really moving from, uh, from the kind of old traditions to more openness and a new situation. So I think we're really excited about that. How are you actively going to try and support positive change in that country by going there? We have a test only for women driving the race cars in Saudi. So women can only recently have started driving in Saudi. We're going to really showcase women in a big event. And I think that's a really visible way to show how things are changing in Saudi. Good ending. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.